Hello and welcome to the Pixel Classroom Podcast, featuring everything on passion, innovation, X-Factor, enthusiasm, and leadership in the classroom. I'm your host, Ryan Reed, and you can listen to everything here from experts in education, talk about epilepsy awareness, and featuring pop culture talk. Welcome to the Pixel Classroom Podcast here. This is episode 77. I've got an amazing guest for you and actually the very first person who teaches musical education. So this person graduated from Indiana Wesleyan University with a BS in musical education in 2001. They have a master's in music from NIU, go Huskies, in 2005. They have an endorsement in English as a second language from 2018. She has been the music coordinator at District 428 since 2012, 20th year in teaching, 21 all over in general. She sings in the community and DeKalb Munitional Band. I am sad I didn't make it the last couple of years. COVID, unfortunately, did that. She has been married to her amazing husband, Brendan, who I've also known for a number of years, for 20. They have three sons, Sam, Jack, and Ben, which I can't believe Sam's 15. And she loves to watch sports especially Blackhawks, read, uh, read, and of course, many other things. And of course, I think she probably just put away her Harry Potter books for like the 15th time here in the last two years. So I'd like to welcome my old friend, former classmate and fellow educator here, Jill McCormick. Jill, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Oh, you are most welcome. And thank you for joining us. If anybody's wondering, this is recorded uh, late, uh, late uh, morning, uh, 9-11. So everybody to the remembrance of the day here. But this is something that her and I worked out very well, too. So... Uh, so, Jill, you know, I gave you kind of the early background on things, but really tell us about your life and education. I mean, you've got almost 21 years. I'm still the young guy of 11 years here. So you've got me beat by a whole decade. And, you know, I've known you for a very long time. So why don't we talk about your journey and where you've kind of led to now as a member of Municipal DeKalb Band, an educator, music curriculum, and of course, raising three boys, which I, I think is a feat in itself. So, uh, Jill, fill us in. Well, it's been a really great journey. I definitely am feeling now like I am one of the, quote, more veteran teachers when I see I'm actually working with two or three people that I taught, which is very <laughs> strange because um, we're getting to the second generation here of people. So uh, I love being in the district for such a long time because you do get to meet so many people. But I knew I wanted to be a music teacher in 10th grade, which mm -hmm. I think is pretty rare for some people to know so early. And, you know, a huge part of that was Mrs. Lori Grant, who was such an amazing choir director who I had for many years. Oh and yeah. Shout out to her. Right? <laughs> and I can't believe that uh, her daughter is now engaged to be married and a teacher herself. And it feels like the other day she was pregnant with her. So it's hard to believe exactly, exactly. that far. And she was so inspiring. She really knew how to get kids excited about music. And that really inspired me to think, Hey, you know, I think I could do this. And I think a lot of people going into music education think they're going to teach high school. That's kind of the epitome of music education for K-12, right? Is that you get to teach the really talented, really skilled high schoolers. And I did that my first year. So when my husband and I got married, he was finishing school at Illinois Wesleyan in Bloomington. 
And so I got a job in the Catholic school system there at Central Catholic High School in St. Mary's Elementary for one year uh, while he finished. And I did teach high school choir. I had four high school choirs. Unfortunately, the program at that time was after school. Mm. So all of my choirs were considered extracurricular. So I was teaching elementary during the day and I was teaching this random social studies class, which I was not qualified for, by the way, um, at, at the high school. And then after school, all my choirs were like three to four o'clock. And so I loved my choirs. I had a great time. I'm actually Facebook friends with a few of my choir members from that time because I wasn't that much older than them. I was right. 22, you know. As they say, and, I'm like, I'm only a couple years younger than my older than my students. And that's what it really throws yeah. you. Guys. It was, I remember getting mistaken for a student once at a competition when I was my first year teaching. I said, uh, actually, I'm the teacher. Um, so I really loved that. But when Brendan was getting ready to graduate and he was student teaching, of course, during that year, we said, you know, we really miss home. We had no idea how much we really miss Chicagoland and being so close to the city because we love going into the city for lots of things. And I just knew in the back of my mind that extracurricular choir wasn't going to do it for me. I, I needed a district that really valued choir and music during the school day. And I needed that. So I, uh, we decided to move home. We grew up in Sycamore, but have actually lived in DeKalb since 2002. And so DeKalb is definitely our home now. And we both interviewed and got offered jobs within like a month of each other. And we said, okay, we're moving home. And I got a job in elementary and I thought, okay, elementary general music, I can do this for a while. And again, always in the back of my head thinking, oh, I'll get back to high school. I'll get back to high school. And when I started elementary, I thought, you know what? I love this. I love being the one that plants the seeds of music. And everybody, I had every student. So it wasn't whoever decided to be in my class. It was, I had every student. So I felt this huge responsibility that I had, you know, I could plant these musical roots in all of these kids. And it took me a while <laughs> to figure out that they're not all going to become performers and, right. you know, <laughs> professional musicians. Like I was personally offended sometimes when they didn't go on in music. And, and finally I thought, okay, uh, you're, you're actually helping to create lifelong music lovers, respecters of music. I love musical theater. As you know, Ryan, we were in some shows together and oh, yeah. I love to talk about musical theater with my students and we do musical of the month. And if they watch it, they get a prize and stuff. So, there you, go. you know, I feel like I'm instilling all these things. And I thought, you know what? Elementary is really the perfect thing for me. And when I started having children, um, if you talk to any secondary choral director, band director, orchestra director, it is a huge, huge time commitment after school hours. And some people really make it work, but it is, it's hard. And so for me, it was the perfect family position because I put in all my energy during the day. I put on a show all day long <laughs> and um, then I, I get to go home most nights and be with my kids and my husband. And it's, it's really the perfect thing. I do love mentoring other teachers. Um, so when I started uh, being the head of the music department, I, that's part of my position is mentoring the new teachers that we hire. And I love that role. So that's really differed things up for me because I'm not just teaching. I also have this leadership role where I get to help new teachers. And so it's really the perfect blend. I mean, if some type of position opened at the high school level at some point, maybe I would consider it. But right now it's, it's really the perfect, perfect place for me. 
Yeah. And I think that's an important thing too, is because, you know, it, it's where it, it falls down to what you feel is more, it's not just about comfort level, but what you're enjoying too. And I think that's what some people realize they get comfortable in position. And then all of a sudden they turn up one day and say, you know what, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Or, you know, you get so comfortable. So then, you know, if your position gets cut or something changes, you're like, kind of like this look like, wait, what, what? And then you're kind of like, got to start over again. I mean, I unfortunately faced that couple of times. And after that, I said, you know, I can enjoy my position, but if I don't feel I'm enjoying it enough, then I shouldn't be here. But at the same time is I kind of, you know, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable in the position. And I think it takes away a lot of stress when you don't feel like you really do. I mean, there's some lessons I teach now and I've taught them so many times. Yeah. I try to throw a little freshness into it, but I'm like, I'm comfortable the day I'm going to start that versus something like, well, I had to update this because of world changes or policies. Like I talk about FAFSA and everything else too, but I've had to update it, but at the same time, we're mine. But at the same time is you can tell when it's like, oh man, I can do it versus like, all right, let's talk about small claims court. I've been in small claims court. We've done small claims. court. I got family members or lawyers. I'm good with and very comfortable with this versus like, let's talk about the one budget. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not me. So I think that's really important. But I also like that you said about the balance of life. And believe it or not, I remember when you were um, pre- when you announced that you were pregnant with Ben. And I think it was, you know, Ren and I are going to start be running, you know, running a double team here because now we're going to have three kids. Yeah. And Tyler wasn't quite two at the time, too. But I remember talking to Brendan saying he's and I was like saying, well, I said, look at the bright side. At least you both have this. He's like, I had I've, I've had to always do nights every single night with Tyler, with, you know, my in-laws throwing him when we were living with them. But I remember him saying like, holy cow, I couldn't imagine just being the only person all the time getting up, doing everything and so forth. I'm like, well, that's kind of hit. But I said, you know, you know, more power to you. You're going to be going through three kids here. So but. I think yeah. he was kind of shocked about what I did. I know I definitely, unfortunately, I did not have that, you know, that wing, like you said, he came home and do the voice because I would come home and do thing. I had school. I had Tyler. I had Melissa. I had to deal with some other unfortunate situations that were going at time that un, that people just did not want me to talk about that, you know, I talk about now. But some people just said, like, boy, I mean, that's got to be horrible. You were just trying to do your job. And then instead of coming home and just say, okay, I'm going to do what thing, it's like it, that wasn't possible. I said, no, it's not very hard. But I'll definitely say more power to you, Jill, for finding that balance and everything, too. I'm pretty outspoken about that too. And, and that's not always, I'll be honest, that's not always a popular opinion in the music, music education world because so many people um, do put their heart and soul into the program, which is you know super important. But to me, and again, maybe an unpopular opinion, at what cost? You know, I, I'm very outspoken about that with my new teachers that I mentor as well in the department because I say, listen, I do not have my work email on my phone by choice. I have never had my work email on my phone. So if you want to get a hold of me, feel free. Here's my cell phone number. Please text me, call me. But I also say my kids are very involved in activities. We're really busy. I leave right away after school every day because we have things going on. And, you know, I'm happy to text or call when I can, but I do not do the work email. I, it's not that I don't check it occasionally at night. I do sometimes. Oh, right. It has to be, you know, a separate, like I get my computer out and check it. I don't want to be available 24 seven because I think what we found when I was pregnant and on maternity leave, this was very evident. And of course, during COVID, this was very evident that when it all comes down to it, your family is number one. Right. And that is, you can be replaced in your job, unfortunately. Um, unfortunately, you know, experience with that has happened, but you know, you can be replaced. And as much as you feel like you're an integral part of your building and you're an integral part of the district, the, the sad truth is if something were to happen, they would replace you immediately and your family, you can't be replaced. You can't Mm -hmm. replace them. So, 
Um, I, I feel like there's been some conversations I've actually had with some colleagues about this recently where we had a new colleague who was concerned because they were sort of told that, well, this is what we do here in DeKalb. You put in lots of hours. Right. And I said, you know what? I disagree with that. That does not have to be the way it is. And so we had an interesting conversation about that because as an outsider, this person was coming in and saying, I was sort of down talked or, you know, talked down to because I wanted to have a balance. And I said, well, you're, I'm in your corner because that's really important. It's so important. And when you get to the end of your days, are you going to say, man, I wish I worked more. Right. <laughs> or are you going to say, man, I wish I spent more time with my family. I don't ever want to have that regret. You know, and that's something I've, I've talked about myself in the last couple of years, especially with my own counseling here dealing with depression. But I, 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 like I said, you know, I was in a situation where it was constantly, well, you got to work for the family. You got to make those sacrifices and screw your quiet time. And then those same people a couple of years later said, well, you should just go out and have more fun and you should do this because you're always at home and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm sorry. A couple of years ago, you told me it was the opposite. Well, that was a different situation. It wasn't a different situation. Yes, it was a, not a great time, but I, but you know, it's like all of a sudden you kind of realize, and like I said, some of those people retired or they switch jobs and say it's like even now too like people want to complain about this but i look at them like well then quit it's like if it's that bad for you i'm like no i can't I'm like well you're complaining about it. you're going to be dissatisfied you pretty much are giving are giving yourself talk up to try to leave it's either do it or don't do it and stop making excuses. and it can be personal it can be political it can be just community but it's like either do as they say do the talk or do the walk. And I think that's something unfortunate to do. It's like me too. I mean, some people said themselves like, wow, you've changed a lot, right? It's like, no, I think I got tired of just being quiet about things. I was supposed to shut up and just do what you're being told. Or like I said, you said perfectly about your email and stuff. Being a former tech facilitator and director, it was felt like that. Even summertime, I could say one job. If summer felt like an hour, so yeah, I went in for the morning for a couple hours, but then after I left, there was nothing to worry about unless it was something driving. But they wanted me to go to school and relax. It was summertime. And I had one where it never felt like that. It felt like it was a constant. I had to be there all the time. If something went wrong, I had to be there. If I did have something that was more important, oh, no, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And then, of course, I felt like when I did have to take a time off for whatever reason, talk or a doctor's appointment or a family situation, it made it feel like the place fell apart when I wasn't there. And that's when it started just turning into, like, I'm kind of tired of this. Yes. And you're meant to feel bad about it versus, you know what? Sometimes you just can't control things and you shouldn't feel guilty because you don't have this view on things or you're not doing the ethic like we are or the fact that you do want to have something personal. I mean, I was, uh, I was constantly shamed for, Oh, you do comics and do this. I'm like, so, and you have all this, well, I'm not different. I have a better job. I blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm like, that's not, I'm like, no, then you're a hypocrite. I'm sorry. And then you're making me feel bad about it. Right. Right. And I, um, I just think it's, it's a shame when people don't have a good balance and it, you know, like I, I'm part of a uh, Facebook group for music teachers and this person posted that they had just had their first baby and that their sub fell through and how awful they felt because their choir students were not going to have a teacher. And she, you know, here she was home with this newborn, but she felt so guilty. And the amount of comments she got were so encouraging and amazing. And I, I said the same thing. Somebody said, your students will be fine. They're going to love you even more when you come back. And you need to enjoy the time you have at home because, you know, your baby and your family is what's most important right now. And I felt that way with all of my kids. I was so worried beforehand. Oh, my sub and what am I going to do? And I have to do these plans and my students without me. Oh, no. And then, you know, the second I looked at each one of my boys, I thought it doesn't matter. Everything's going to be fine. 
And it is, it's, um, and I feel like in the U S not to get all philosophical, but I think here in the United States, you know, overwork is common. Oh yeah. And I feel like it's, we are abnormal if we're not, like you were saying, if we're not, you know, putting in all this overtime or we're not doing all of this extra and it's, you know, that's not healthy for so many reasons. And so for me, I mean, I saw my parents work hard growing up and they had a really good balance, you know, like my dad had the nine to five thing and, you know, he came home and he was home and he worked hard during the day. My mom, you know, did daycare. So she worked at home, but she was, you know, hard at work during the day with other people's kids. And, you know, but then after work hours, they were home with us a lot of the time, you know, doing our activities. And, you know, my dad played sports up until he was, you know, I forget, <laughs> but a long time. Well, it was and, still going. I remember when you tell us that during like practice or, or in class and I'd be like, man, I'm like my stepfather, or even my actual dad, you know, he was doing some refereeing for um, my sisters back when they were playing that, but you know, dad hadn't done anything like super sports related in years since I was like four years old and he was still living in DeKalb. And then my stepfather, he wasn't doing anything outside crusaders and some of his car stuff. So when he would like go do something, it got to be good. But then I would hear like your dad or some other mom. And I kind of went like, my parents haven't played any kind of sports since I think I was in second grade, you know? And I said, and and they were divorced and lived in two different States. It was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, how is that possible? But I think I get a lot of my, my passion for sports, um, from my dad and, and I will agree with, (laughs) So I, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I'm a weird, uh, sort of balance because I am this music educator, right. Who, you know, a lot of people wouldn't think that I'm a huge I was a huge athlete and I'm a huge sports lover. So, you know, and I had two brothers, I have three brothers-in-law and I have three sons. So <laughs> I get the sports thing. I get the boy thing. So whenever I get some new students that are boys and I, you know, I comment on whatever, if they're wearing a bear shirt or a hawk shirt or whatever, and I can have a conversation and hold up my end. They're like, Whoa, you know, sports. I, oh yes, honey. Mrs. McGovern knows sports. And my dad such a passionate athlete and, um, fan. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really fun to, uh, grow up in that environment. And I could have very easily not liked sports just because my family was so into them, mm-hmm. but my mom was an athlete too in high school. And my brothers are both huge athletes. And my, my oldest brother is a PE teacher. And then my second older brother is a, uh, a golf professional in Michigan. So like sports <laughs> is what we do. <laughs> so I think my mom was relieved when I, went the music route because she had something different <laughs> to do. I mean, she loved all the games. She was always there. Oh, I know. She was a huge fan. But, you know, I think she was like, oh, we have like this culture and she's singing in different languages and I get to go to these, <laughs> these choir cuts. Like it was so fun for my mom, I think, to have a different like, OK, we can do, you know, it was all sports all the time. And then, oh, we're going to take a left turn and and do the music world. And it was it was so fun. And my mom played piano and my mom liked singing. My grandma was a big singer and she was actually in a trio with her twin sisters at for a period of time, which was really cool when she was young. So that's also in my blood. So I feel like I've, I have both sides, but it is kind of a strange when people get to know how um, sort of different I am. And then you throw in like the love for Harry Potter and mm-hmm. you throw in, you know, like I like the Marvel movies. I'm not obsessed like some, I don't know everything. I know you are hey, like, hey, 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 no. No, no, no. in the good way, you know, I love like Harry Potter. I'm obsessed with Harry Potter. All right. But like Marvel. I don't feel as educated. I'll say I'm not the, I didn't read the comics. Sorry. So, um, I like the movies and I like the characters and, but like, again, I can keep up with that. If kids are wearing Marvel and they're like, Oh, 
she knows things. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I remember uh, in high school too, when I when I went back to reading in late '94 after everything I was going through. And I remember one time during rehearsal of Oklahoma, you looked over my shoulder and I was reading Spider Man, and you were kind of like, "We'll read comics still." Wait, what? <laughs> you know what? And I get it now, man. I get it because we love what we love, right? And it's yeah, it's it's a nice sort of. I don't want to say vacation, but you know, it's a nice relaxing hobby to have. That's not like what we do day to day. So, um, and that's one of the reasons I read Harry Potter every summer. It's like, I escape into that world for the summer. And then I miss him when it's over because you're in that world for so many hours of reading and, you know, and then I, you know, I go back and watch the movies a lot too. And that's like a comfortable place for me. I just love that world. And, um, so it's, it's funny that, uh, you know, we all as 40 somethings, right. We all still have these great hobbies that you should have because it's like, you know, a blanket, a warm blanket, or, you know, a cup of hot chocolate. It's soothing to the soul and everybody needs that. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, people always ask me why, you know, they said, I feel like when you were younger, you were more into sports. I said, well, that's because of my grandpa, he was a big thing. You know, yeah. My dad's side of the family was, you know, specifically like the bears or the, you know, or the cubs and so forth. But after he passed away that really changed and then I shifted more too because I always had a love for pop culture I love for movies and so forth and you know even though the movies were I think I think like I said for me especially in that era games and comics were kind of think of yeah some people do it but at that point you kind of had a society um, stigma that you got too old for that stuff you shouldn't be doing that and then you flash forward 15 years, I would say, I'd say about 2005, 2008. And yeah, you were still having small things, but you were having more where you had that more girls were coming higher game players. There was more online media. There was the movies Marvel to later DC, even though there's only a handful of DC movies I ever liked, but uh, you know, and that's my only personal bias, even though everybody knows I, I was a big comics of Marvel then, you know, but there were specific DC characters that I still love to this day, but it was interesting how I said, you know, and it's amazing how that kind of put that in. Like you talk about your students about when you do sports team some i'll make some comments on when they do it but when some talk about gaming or they talk about pop culture i go into when i do consumer ed i bring up some very interesting comments and everything both you know negative and positive what's happened over the years and a lot of these kids are very surprised by that but you know melissa always commented i had a lot of minutiae in my head but for what i did and what i did that's just kind of how i did so i think it's very interesting how we brought those skills and stuff and like you said you ended up going the music route yes you were athletic because yes you were a relaxed athletic but so technically it was i and i didn't really play that many games but you know i looked at myself back then versus now i was like boy you know i mean i know i work out online with the winning edge but you know it was just there was a certain thing you were expected to do or you had a passion to enjoy and i think years later some people who frowned upon it now say well you know what that was kind of your areas i mean times and society change too so that was interesting how that all came about well i don't you know i, I know everybody's path is a little bit different but it, it took me probably till my 20s and i think a lot of people probably have that same situation where i said this is me and i'm not you know, if you don't like it, fine, but right. I'm not going to hide what I love and who I am and what I do. Um, you know, what you see is what you get. I'm not a, I'm not a game player. If you ask me for my opinion, I'm going to tell you, and you better be ready for it. Right. And I, I never was confrontational until I got my leadership role as, as the music coordinator. And I had to be, and I found that, uh, I don't, you know, it's not my favorite, but I can do it. So, um, and one, you know, one thing also I sort of over time, uh, you know, one time I had a professor in college and undergrad say, 
something about how he'd been married to his wife for a long time and that he is now probably on his third person since he got <laughs> married. And I thought, what does that mean? You know, but we, we all change so much. And I think that's fascinating. Like, I'm not who I was when I got married to Brendan. We, neither of us are. You change, you evolve, you know? And it is interesting to think about the person that got married 20 years ago and the person I am today. I mean, there's still lots of similar things, but there's other things you find like, hey, I'm okay. I'm good at this. And, and I think what my colleagues would say about me now and, you know, in general, I have a super long fuse. I'm very patient working with kindergarten through fifth grade. You have to be very patient. Oh, yes. Somebody um, in middle and elementary too is. So, so patient. And um, so, you know, I have a very long fuse and I don't, I'm not a yeller. I feel like they get yelled at at home all the time and they sort of tune you out. I'm not a yeller. But if I get upset, if I'm upset, then something happened. Something big that deserves to be, you know, uh, basically um, for me to be upset, it's, it's something big. And the administrators that I work with know that about me now that if I'm upset, then there's a good reason for that. So I think that that is a really important thing too, is kind of figuring out what you're good at and figuring out where you can make your voice the biggest and the most known. And for me, you know, my biggest passion besides teaching children is advocating for music education. And if somebody is not uh, supporting the way that I feel our district should be supported, you're going to hear about it. And so I think that that's a really good place for me now is that if I am upset, I will call and say, I'm really upset. And they'll say, okay, let me talk. Let, you know, I'll call you back in half an hour because I know you need to talk about it. And our district is, I mean, I got to brag a little, <laughs> super, super award-winning uh, at the higher levels. And uh, we feel like a lot of that is because we have such a strong um, department in general, but also the elementary folks love that we have the kids so often. And we feel like we also can do a strong foundation, um, into when they get into the secondary levels. And so we have so much great PR for the district. Um, the kids have so much, so much success in our program. Kids go on to become musicians and performers and educators, and we're a big part of this district. And so if if something happens where advocacy, advocacy is something that I need to bring up, I'm going to bring it up and I'm going to be passionate about it. And I feel like that's been a really big part of my role. And a lot of people don't see that advocacy because I don't have to talk about it a lot. Um, but there's a lot behind the scenes that I, I go to, to bat for my, my staff. And I feel like even though we are really strongly supported music department, there's always things that come up. And like you were saying before we started, you know, it's music education is not always thought of as a vital part of districts. And I think all of us that have done any type of research know that kids in music um, do better yes. in general. And so not only does it make you a well-rounded human being, but it gives you a family environment, people that care because music kids in general are very accepting uh, and caring kids. And we have a great community and we do great things. And, and that's better for everybody. Every kid benefits from that. 
And I think that's very important too, because I mean, definitely one of our other two subjects we'll talk about between navigating the classroom during the pandemic, as well as the community you live in. But you know, that's also how my department was seen to for a while. When I came in, um, the teacher who had left had done a lot of things, but he was more stronger in business than technology. But the previous one that before they had a lot of cutbacks and everything else due to a lot of things that was just out of control. There was no like, oh yeah, I don't agree with you. We're shutting this down or we're cutting the funding here. It was just situations that just kept snowballing to the point to where they had to make decisions, which they knew people weren't going to like, and we're probably going to long affect them. And they still are felt today. But I think that's a very good point where you said, where you go to, but you do that too. And, you know, and I've been on that side of technology. We were kind of seeing, you know, we are still seeing sometimes they're like, well, why do the kids need this class to graduate or requirement? Because they have phones, they use computers all the time. They know how to use technology. And as we've seen, that's, not very true. You know, I, I always say this to students when I see them, you know, logging in, I also look like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm putting in Google Classroom. I'm like, why are you not clicking the nine dots? You just signed in. He's like, oh, I'm just used to doing it. I'm like the typing Google Classroom, clicking on two more links versus like, oh, I'm logged in one, two, I'm here. It's like, stop doing that to yourself. And it's like, so it's like when people say that, oh yeah, I'm like, no, they don't. I have students that don't know how to spell correctly. I have a student, I love him to death. He is a fantastic interviewer. He cannot spell. He seriously cannot spell. And I even told him, like, we're going to work on your spelling right now. And I, I looked at him and I would say, I'd be like, stop. He's like, what? That's not how you spell that word. No, keep. OK, there you go. Stop. Capitalize that. Mm -mm. And two of my English teachers like, thank you for telling him that. <laughs> like, I have him write papers. And so many times I look at him like, you can't even run spell check. What is this? So it's like, yeah, it, it's very important of those skills. And I mean, as of too, I mean, some of his music too. I mean, I listen to music and everything, but you know, I, you know, I walk Willow, our dog. I do a lot of runs, but I'm not that person that puts on the headphones and then listens to music. Cause I don't work that way. But when I'm working on Perlet beats, I listen to music. I listen to educational podcasts. That's me. And that's important. And sometimes also I kind of just like the introduction, like, Oh, I just like that little music at the beginning. It's very calm and so forth. So that's when I'll, listen to the music when I'm working on stuff versus I got to run about or so forth. So it's a very hard thing. And on that note, I mean, being a music teacher, being a community service lady, you know, 2020, we had pan, we're still, you know, we're trying to we with new things. And yes, maybe hopefully things will look good for 2022 because apparently we're repeating history, 19, uh, 1919 to 1921. But, you know, how did you navigate that being a music instructor? I've seen some do incredible jobs that later on in the curriculum, I've seen some where they just, didn't know what to do. So, you know, in your case, Jill, how did you navigate? Cause I mean, you serve too, not just education, but also community with music. How, how was that navigating the last couple of years and where are you hoping to go forward? I know you've had less things and you were able to do concerts in the park again, but you know, we still got restrictions until we are more out of it than ever. You know, I have, have been so impressed with my colleagues and what they did during the pandemic. I, um, you know, you're, to your point about technology, a lot of musicians are really great at technology, especially if they're into composing and arranging, because you have to have programs on the computer to do those things. And some were live performers. That's what we do. So a, a lot of us, me included, did not explore as much technology because we love the live performing piece. And um, 2020, I mean, in a nutshell, was was tough. I mean, it was a really tough thing. I think the one good thing that came, well, there's several good things, silver linings that came out. One of them being that people really realized how important music was. Mm -hmm. And even people that think they aren't big music lovers, people that went to Lollapalooza every year, or they went to see live performances, you know, concerts, or they did, you know, went to Millennium Park and saw things in the park or went to Hopkins and watched the municipal band. 
I think people then realized how important music was to them. And the study came out, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, Ryan, but the, there was a Colorado study that came out about aeros aerosols and singing and how um, detrimental choirs were at the beginning of the pandemic. And so that study, and we know research, you know, drives a lot of instruction, um, that study was, was important. But it was also kind of an eye opener for all of us that performed because we do lots of singing in my classroom. Elementary general music does lots of singing. Um, and of course, I'm a singer. So that's my specialty. We all do, right. We do more singing in here probably than some people do. And then, of course, the choir world. Um, you know, orchestras were very safe because there are no aerosols that they were releasing. They could mask up and play. Band, all they do is expel aerosols. Right. So, you know, my son in marching band, it was fascinating to see my colleague, Steve, um, you know, they had to have a lot of guidelines. They actually did do marching band last year. They were no, uh, there were no football games for them to play at in the fall, but they still did a show and they, he did a field show where they had to be, you know, a certain amount of, it, it was more than six feet. He was to be sure he did. I, I can't remember if it was 10 feet or, um, however many yards apart that they were on the field but they did a whole show socially distanced and it was incredible. They all had um, whoever could had bell covers on their horns and on their instruments. They had, you know, the social distance and the show was really amazing. I mean, I, I was crying the first time I saw it because I thought, I can't believe he figured this out, but you know, those of us in music are of the creative type. So for us, it was um, I think probably easier than some because we thought, okay, we still want to perform. What can we do? Google meet is not good for music. <laughs> so we had to do our best. Zoom is way better, but our district is a Google, a Google district. So we had to do Google meet. And so that was a huge learning curve. Um, I was, you know, basically standing in front of my cameras, doing things with the kids and I was trying to get them up and moving and I was showing them clips, but, um, you know, we didn't have music as often as normal because of the schedule. We only had half days. So that was really difficult because I was used to covering, we usually have the kids an hour a week, uh, twice a week in elementary, which is a lot more than some people have. And I had them essentially half that time. And so it was, you know, trying to figure out what's the most important to teach. What do I want to focus on? Um, and when they came back, we had uh, lots of protocols for cleaning that I had to clean every instrument. I had to clean all the chairs. I had to do, you know, socially distance. And there were times I only had 10 kids in a class or four kids in a class or whatever it may be at that time. And so it was, it was, you know, fairly easy. But I think that, um, you know, the teaching world as a whole demanded that things keep going. Right. And I think that so many parents, that's another silver lining, I feel so many parents saw what we do on a day to day basis because they were sitting in the room or they were around. And I had some comments from parents that said, oh, it was so much fun watching you teach online and, you know, you do so many great things. And, you know, and those comments also kept us going, I think, because people realized that we were doing our best in a difficult time. And that we were still showing up every day and we were still trying to be positive in front of students and we were still trying to, you know, do what we needed to do. And so um, I was constantly amazed because my kids are in the music program, too, which is really special. I have my colleagues teaching my kids. Um, so my son, as I mentioned, is in marching band. And then my my second son, Jack, is in choir. 
And so a lot of our middle school programs did all virtual concerts, which I know that you understand, Ryan, putting together a virtual concert is hours and hours and hours hours of work because of course every kid submits a video and then you have to edit all the videos together and do all of the sound editing on that piece and same thing when when their song came out for the winter concert for example I just cried because I thought not only is it amazing that they did this because these kids are at home at that time trying to do their best but just seeing all of the work that my colleagues put in with here's the rehearsal track Here's what you need to practice. Here's the sheet music. You can put this up on Google Classroom and then sing along with it. Um, you know, luckily my son came to me and I can help him with that. And he said, mom, this is how we're doing. Can you help? I was like, yes. Um, and so hearing it and, and his choir director is a, an amazing sound engineer because he, he did that previously. And so for him, that was kind of second nature. But um, for a lot of us, that would have totally been something I couldn't have done. Honestly, it would have, it would have been very difficult for me. So, um, and the band did that and the orchestra did that. They did virtual concerts. And I thought, I cannot imagine how many hours these folks put in, but of course they were willing to do it because, you know, they wanted kids to have that experience. And then in the spring, when we were able to have some concerts, um, our church across the street from the high school had a tent up and our concerts for the high school were able to be at this tent outdoors in May. And that was so rewarding to finally have outdoor concerts. And so, I mean, of course, then I was so emotional, like we're finally back. And, and, you know, the elementary schools got to have, I I sadly got rained out here. Um, But all my other elementary colleagues got to have theirs. And um, I just recorded my classroom singing, the kids were singing in my classroom, and that's how we did it. So I ended up kind of doing a virtual one, which I never thought I would. But, um, you know, it was incredible. It was incredible seeing what people, what people did. And I feel like, because so many people saw that, um, I feel like respect for teachers went up at the beginning of that quite a bit. Um, I think, unfortunately, with all of the things still going on, um, some of that's gotten lost a little bit because yeah. other things are on people's minds. But it was it was nice to know. I mean, we were frontline workers in that situation. We mm-hmm. had to keep going. And, um, you know, even now with we have kids in our district, we're, um, you know, back in the classroom and, you know, everybody's trying to to be as normal as possible. Um but of course we have kids that haven't been in school for a year, year and a half. So it's, it's challenging. Yeah. I mean, same thing when I went to Tyler's last open house here, cause he's in fifth grade now, but you know, some of those kids and Melissa works at, you know, Kingston here in Genoa, but some of those kids never were in school and this is the first time. So it's a different situation. I have some that aren't, you know, and like I said, I've had some students there, they excelled online. It was like nothing beat them. And then there was ones who just, it crashed and burnt and then they wanted that community. And I, I think that's what a problem is. It's always nice to be like, you know, everybody's like, well, everyone should be face to face or you should stay online and everything else. And I say, I said, you seem to miss the point. Some people flourish in one and don't flourish in other, but it's like, it's been like that for years. How many students flourished in extracurricular or, you know, as they say, elective classes like you and I teach it and how some were like, they were great with mainstream. Like they're, you know, I loved history. I excelled in history. I loved my science classes, but one would work out well. One wouldn't work out math was bad for me. I tried, I tried, I tried. I even had some good teachers and I had some bad teachers. It just was not my fit choir I loved. 
I think I owe that definitely for Lori, but I had always had a love of that beforehand in previous ones. And I kind of regretted in middle school. I never worked on the choir there too, but it was a very tough time for me at that, uh, at that moment that some people didn't even know I was going through, but you know, I think it gets to the point is everybody wants the magic bullet to just fix everything, make COVID go away, make us in person all the time. Oh, you know, do this. So everybody has money or do this. All the community, you know, you know, supports your, you know, your front line and first, I'm like, it's never, like I said, it was perfectly said, but years ago, you can only keep people happy half the time. The other half are not going to have a time. And when that half that's always upset time is happy, the other half is upset. And it's like, everybody's needs to realize as much as we try, we, we don't have the answers for all of them. And if we keep trying to pretend we are going to magically do that, that's where we're just setting ourselves up for failure. And failure is not a bad thing, but at the same time is, you know, how many times can you stub your toe on the, on the footstool before you realize maybe I should move this footstool. So I don't stab it. Of course, if you keep hitting it, no matter where you put it in, I think that's, you got some sort of relationship with that footstool. Um, <laughs> and I think that's a good point. You talk about the serving community, various stuff where you live and everything else too, because like you said, you did the church you attend, you did the community and everything. I think that's a really wonderful point about how that community does help with each other too. And I mean, you've been part of the municipal band. I remember one time when we went to the, um, Fourth of July in Hopkins Park, and you were out there singing, and and, and my mother in law is like, "Wow, she sings great!" Like she's been my friend for a long. She's like, "You don't know that person?" Like, yes, I know Jill very well. I know her <laughs> way back. Well, it's like I think people don't realize. And I had this on when I uh, last last season when I talked to my friend Joe Sloan, who was one of the main reasons I went into instructional coaching because up to then I knew where I wanted to do with my doctorate. But I just didn't know where it goes. And that's where it went into. And especially for somebody who's also been, and I think this is especially unique because Melissa has talked about being the wife of a person that's been a constant student, got a doctorate. Now, you know, knock on wood, I'll have my, you know, coaching certificate come August, knock on wood, keep the payments going and whatever. Oh, yeah. What, you know, what that's an interesting journey about you and Brendan and everything, him going for the doctorate. And I was a little mad at him. He, got done a lot earlier than me. And I even said, it's like, not fair. You went through jobs too. You had another kid born and you finished on time. And I suffered job loss and depression and other stuff. I'm still sitting here saying, and a pandemic saying, come on, I just want to finish that. But what was that like? I mean, you talk about community living and serving the balanced life, but what is it like when you have a spouse who's doing that? You know, it was, it was an amazing process for me to watch him. First of all, congratulations, Dr. Reed, because I firsthand know um, how that is. And it's really a team effort, right? I mean, I'm sure most of it is. It's, I mean, because when he was going through in-person classes, which was, he he really didn't have a lot of online classes. Um, Most of his were in-person classes and it took him, I think it was six and a half years to finish. Right. And, you know, working full time and, um, you know, we had the boys. And so there was the balance of that. And there were times that, you know, he had class on Wednesdays or whatever it was. So I knew, okay, Wednesdays, he's going to be gone. And you have to kind of mentally prepare for that. And he's really, you know, he's not quiet when you know him, but (laughs) but to the outside world, he's, he's a pretty big introvert and he, he can be pretty quiet. And so, you know, he wasn't one that was shouting from the rooftops that he was doing it. He wasn't one that was telling everybody, oh, I have to go do my work for my doctorate, you know. Um, and he did so much of it on his own. Um, he would find time to squeeze it in. You know, if he had a planning period, he could work on a paper or he would read or he would, you know, he would stay up late um, and get things done. And I was always so inspired by his process because there were times, you know, with three kids, particularly and working full time, 
you know, you really have two full-time jobs, right? I mean, you're full-time parents and yeah. you're full-time teacher. And so he was essentially kind of doing a third job. And I remember being inspired by him thinking, I don't know how he continues to keep going. He was so driven. And he, um, you know, he originally got his, um, his degrees in history and education. Right. And so he taught civics for a very long time. And then he also uh, had classes in, in uh, English. So um, he now teaches high school English, but he uh, got an endorsement in economics one summer because he wanted to make sure he got that. And then he decided he wanted to do type 75 administrative certification. So he went through that program and then decided, and that was his master's um, and, and thinking, I'm not, I don't want to do this. (laughs) He went through it and went through all the courses and took the test and thought, okay, I'm going to be an administration. And then later said, I don't think that's what I want to do. And so when he started his curriculum and instruction uh, doctoral program, I thought this is a really great step for him. So, you know, he is an expert in that area, um, which has really helped him in his process for teaching English and going in and trying to sort of sort out the curriculum. Um, he still has not gone the administrative route, even though he potentially could, because he has that certification. Um, But it's, it's been a really amazing process and things that he learned along the way that he never would have learned. Um, And I, you know, I tease him and say that you better not go any postdoc. I can't handle anymore. This is it. No, no more. Um, But he, you know, he's made some really great connections. He's actually uh, been published now uh, twice because he, of course, his doctorate, you're published for that. And then um, his advisor, uh, was part of putting out a book for teachers and she asked him to be part of that. So that was recently published. And so he, um, he would, I think like to maybe do more of that, but as, as a spouse, I mean, for me, I knew that I could never do that. I mean, my master's program and my endorsement in ESL was it. I I actually got my master's before Sam was born. So I graduated in December, 2005. And Sam was born January, 2006. Right. So I literally just squeezed, cause I did not want to be going through my master's program as a mom. I, right. I didn't, I, I knew that I would have a hard time with that. And so I think part of it was the awe of, I could never do what he's doing and to just be as supportive as possible. Um, I didn't always understand what he was doing because his courses were so much more, you know, um, past what I had done. Uh, but it was just, I was so, we were all so proud of him. And that graduation ceremony was a really joyful time because yeah. he made it and his defending his dissertation, the fact that I could be there was so special. And, you know, he just, he was so proud. And I think that for him being so quiet to much of the outside world, um, this was something that he was really devoted to and really wanted to do. And, um, so he's, you know, I can totally see him at some point doing some type of college professor work or some consulting or something else. I could see him doing something past just the classroom, but um, it was, it was something that we were just so proud of him. And my kids got to see, you know, how hard he worked and they were all at the graduation and it was just a really special time. So we're so proud of him. Um, you know, we tease him and call him Dr. McCormick because, you know, both, <laughs> both his parents are doctors as well. You know, his, his oh, yes. Oh, yes. was a medical doctor and his dad also got his doctorate. So it's funny. It's like another Dr. McCormick, but um, it was, it was a really amazing process. And I just, I couldn't be prouder of him. Ooh, shout out there. <laughs> <laughs> as well as, oh, wrong one. 
There we go. I'm so messed up. There's what I was looking for. I just like doing the live ones there too, because it's just kind of fun. Funny when I screw up like that. Anyhow, you think I know these? Tells you what buttons I use the most on this little roadcaster. But yeah, I, I think a lot of it goes out to you, Joe. I know I've constantly sent them, Melissa, and I do remember after I finished my dissertation, which is hard to believe come January will be two years. And even though I had the virtual one, but then I had the in-person this past May, which actually felt like a full ending in the hooding. But, you know, I think when, I mean, my, you know, Dr. York, and she turned to Melissa, cause she, you know, she remembers when, you know, Tyler was born and she, you know, and everything, but she just tells like, I think our congratulations go to you, Melissa. You had to pull up with that crap for so much. <laughs> and it, I don't know if Cindy listens to it, but always people always joke about me with her. And they said, boy, you know, Dr. York did a number on you and you're so much like her. I said, well, it was very simple. She got me into this mess. She's getting me out of this. Mess. So I, but I, I'm very thankful for the stuff she pushed me and she definitely saw things, but I think it's the support that people don't, you know, don't, know about i mean you supported brandon melissa supported me but you know we also have those people who don't support i mean in, in brandon's quite his parents both doctors both things and so forth but i had family members that said what's what are you trying to prove don't you want to just be done and melissa was she got when she got her bachelor's in communications in 2002 before we met each other you know she was i'm done you said yourself too you want to be one of your masters you know i'm done with that horse i was even born and I think some people do realize, you know, there just comes a point where we are done. And, you know, some things I do, I mean, besides my dissertation, I was published in a book too, you know, hundred th- non-natural things teachers should stop doing. And Rick, if you're hearing here, I want my copy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, notice as I got closer to my microphone on that. Anyhow, <laughs> but, you know, it, I think some people, but at the same time, we love doing it. It's like me, I still do writing. I do the podcast. They are passionate stuff. And, you know, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine. So I think you're eventually going to get the book done that you want to do because you are do that but it's like me too it's like i do miss working with the teachers but my thing is i always joke i was on the other side i was an administrator first before i was a classroom teacher and then as much and as my mom said you fought to get to the classroom and you did it but i think you kind of also realize as much as you love that with the students and she said this too i was like i think you just love working with the teachers and everybody else whether it's administering teachers and i think she's like i think that's what you need to get back to and i said yeah i want to it's like i always made i've made up an excuse to no, i need to stay i'm finally stable enough. I'm finally making decent paychecks. I have a job at works, but then when it kind of looked down to, it's like, but am I really sacrificing it just to make me feel better? Or am I really sacrificing and missing out on opportunities? And as we all know, we regret what we don't take those chances to. I mean, there's always good and bad with those chances. And there's ones I always say that the chances that are, are they going to make you better? Or are they going to make you worse? And I think as we all know, making the better choice is that. And you know, I think you and Brandon and everybody involved have made those choices through the last couple of years, but for the last 20 years, you've seen education change, both from government policies to community changes to other changes, pandemics, everything, raising boys in that. Now they're part of that same community where it's like, oh, hi, mom, what you up to? Well, I'm teaching. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Tyler some days, you know, I mean, even though he hasn't been in school with Melissa now for almost three years, you know, there were some times where she'd be like, oh, hi, Tyler. He'd be like, oh, mom, stop talking to me. I'm kind of embarrassed here. You're my, you're, you work in the same school as I do. Like, stop, stop. <laughs> That is funny. My, my kids have realized because I've been around this district for DeKalb School District for so long, they realize that I know a lot of people and I have a lot of eyes everywhere. And so sometimes I'll say something to them and they're like, how did you know that? <laughs> and I'll say, oh, you know, I have a lot of connections. When you've been in a district for now, it's my 20th year in DeKalb. It's, you know, been there for a while. Um, and I actually, I love working where I live. You know, not everybody loves that, but I think that there's something so special about 
uh, living down the street. I mean, I live five minutes from my, my school and, you know, seeing kids at Ollie's or seeing kids at the park or seeing kids at Target or whatever it may be. Um, you know, gasp, you don't live at school. Right. Um, and so that many times. Yeah. Yeah. And just seeing, um, kids where you live and being, you know, I, I love that. And I have 600 students. I mean, I see kids everywhere. You know, there is one firm, one firm thing that I do not do. I do not take my kids to the public pool because I, I would be accosted by dozens of students every time I wouldn't be able to watch my kids. I wouldn't be able to enjoy myself. So I, I, that's one thing I put my foot down. I refuse to do. I, I cannot do that. Um, but it is otherwise, you know, a huge joy living where I teach and, you know, seeing the community change. I think one of the big things, um, that's been biggest for me that they don't teach you in school is um, how to teach children in crisis and trauma. And we have a lot of students in our district that are, um, you know, not in good family situations or that, you know, are, uh, don't get enough food or, you know, we have a homeless population that is triple what it was before the pandemic. Um, And we have kids that are really struggling. And so I think that that's probably the biggest change in my teaching and living in the community that I serve is that you see the changes and you want to meet those kids where they are and, and the empathy and compassion that comes with that. And that, that's something that, you know, can't always be taught. And so when you see kids struggling where my first, second, third year teacher self would have handled the discipline situation very differently. Now my veteran teaching self says, okay, what's going on at home? Are they getting what they need? What is this really about? Because a lot of times it's not about you at all. And I think, you know, we take things very personally as new teachers. If kids aren't listening or if kids are, you know, misbehaving or if kids don't love your subject area, you know, it, it, it could be something completely not about you at all. And I think stepping back and saying, this is not about me, what's really going on. Um, and even with kids as little as the ones I teach, I mean, they can't always express it appropriately but there are oftentimes you find out that something much bigger is going on. And so then you are, instead of teaching your subject area first, you also have to be teaching the entire child and you have to be a safe place for them. And you have to be a place that they can be comfortable and a place where they're not going to be judged and um, a place that you're going to be caring because they don't always sadly get that outside uh, of school. So um, I think that's, you know, one of the biggest changes I love living in my community. I love singing in my community. I love being a part of it. Uh, but it's also really special because you sort of know firsthand what some of the kids are experiencing and then you can be that person for them. And, um, so it is, it's a pretty powerful thing though. I mean, when you, when you stop to think about some of the things they're experiencing, um, with food insecurities and with family insecurities and housing insecurities, um, you know, we have a, a pretty high poverty rate here in DeKalb. And so it's, uh, it's something, you know, serving at Barb Food Mart, which I've sadly only done once and I've wanted to do it so much more, but I, I support them fully um, or, you know, being part of different events in the community where you can see kids and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a special thing. It's a special thing. And to know that you're helping them emotionally as well as educationally is, is pretty powerful. And I think that's the best mic drop I've heard in a while here too. So I, I think that, I think you summed it all up there. Perfect there. <laughs> she does you can't see this in video because it's all audio. But she's like, Hey, dropping that mic. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, all the boys go, Oh mom, stop. Come on. Oh, mom. <laughs> 
Jill, this has been a great time and everything too. So thank you so much for being on today, especially considering the day and everything, uh, you know, going on right now. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. I, it was a pleasure and really an honor to be your first musical guest. Yes. And I hope that this, you will not be my last though on that note too. Jill, how can people connect on you as they don't live in community in uh, DeKalb County? <laughs> oh, well, um, I, you know, that's a good question. I am on Facebook. Uh, and I have my uh, email address at school is jill.mccormick at d428.org. So that's another way I'm easily reached. Um, but I'm not a huge social, I mean, Facebook is kind of my only platform that I'm on, surprisingly. Um, so that and email would be easy ways to, to talk. And, and, you know, I was just talking to this, the episode airs just um, after yours, George Chorus, him and I also talked about this. Like, sometimes you don't have to be on everything else. You're making a difference as a teacher and as a community leader. And he's like, it doesn't matter what side you fall on, what social media or area you fall on. It's like, you make your difference because you're that. So, you know what? It's not a bad thing. And trust me, it's somebody who has scaled back on things, even though my discord is always Spider-Man. That's something I <laughs> am actually very, I, 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 in a way, kind of a little jealous of that you were able to keep that up despite everything in the world these days. So, Jill, thank you again for everything you do and everything else. And thank you for also being part of this community for so long as somebody who grew up in the DeKalb County community still does, even if I live in Genoa now, but uh, yeah, just, just, you know, thank you for being all part of that and always bringing the gift of music to us whenever. Thank you, Ryan. You're welcome. All right, everybody. On that note, I'm going to leave everybody out here for the Pixel Classroom podcast. Remember to like us and please share and please leave us a comment. And on that note, everybody, we will see you later on the Pixel Classroom podcast. Thank you once again for listening to the Pixel Classroom podcast. Remember, if you like what you hear, please think about leaving us a review or subscribing or leaving us a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. And also remember, the Pixel Classroom podcast is always looking for sponsors. So if you're thinking of sponsoring the podcast, please let us know and we will get you set up. On that note, my friends, I will talk to everybody later again on the Pixel Classroom podcast. <laughs>